testing, testing, one, two, 11 players? 11 Marlins players have tested positive for COVID. How concerned should we be about the rest of the MLB season actually happening? Also, the Mets were clobbered 14-1 Sunday after Edwin Diaz, boom, did it again. Gave up a game-tying homer with one strike to go in deja vu Saturday. Should Mets fans be worried with the series loss? The post at Zach Braziller joins to talk about the series loss, the closer scenario, and examine the COVID situation in baseball. We also chat with former Met and one of the greatest closers ever who is somehow not in the Hall of Fame, Billy Wagner. All that and more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Crazy, yo. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing but true. Orange and blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks. It's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, alongside my co-host, former Mets pitcher and Emmy Award winner, Nelson Figueroa. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us five stars. Write a nice review if you're on Apple, please. We got a packed show. The Post's Zach Braziller joins us as well as former Mets closer Billy Wagner, but Figgy You know, a lot to get into that we didn't think we would be getting into, but a third of the Marlins roster has COVID. And, uh, you know, it sends shockwaves across the league, and now there's going to be more players. There's already a few that have considered opting out. Players could potentially opt out. The Marlins games Monday and Tuesday against the Orioles are canceled. The Phillies-Yankees game Monday night is canceled. Right now, the owners are saying, you know, the season is not going to be canceled. They're going to go on as is. But you got to think there's got to be extra precautions, and there's going to be more more teams and players affected and this thing hopefully does not spiral out of control yeah this is one of the things that we were worried about from the very beginning is that you know if you're talking about one person having it then there's a chance that multiple people have it no matter how cautious you are no matter how many we're talking about social distancing within a clubhouse environment within a team sport you know high fives the whole nine yards there's so many ways that something like this could spread and we're not sure how it happened nobody's sure yet how it happened but you're looking at 11 positive tests which is a third of a team i don't even know what the protocol is uh you know you have the taxi squad and you have 60 guys are you know available to play baseball this season what are you going to do are you able to you know replace all those guys and play competitive major league baseball with 11 new faces uh, for the next, you know, 10 to 14 days, depending on how long these guys would have to quarantine. It's a scary thought. It's a scary scenario. But I think if it's something that can be contained and we see that there are no new Mets or Yankees who have tested positive, which is a good sign. And there's something that can be contained and so be it. You take the extra couple of days and you get the containment underway and you are able to get those new players over to the Marlins and, and see if baseball can resume as close to normal as possible because this weekend was great to be have a chance to watch 12 games on Sunday uh, on, on Sunday was uh, was a great thing I've missed it for so long and it was uh it was good to see uh, that was of course until the Mets game started yeah and you know we'll shift our focus to the Mets because honestly this situation is fluid it keeps getting updated I mean we're I got tweet deck up as we record this show to see if anything happens uh and by Thursday we should know more but let's talk about what we got into over the weekend and that was the Mets losing two out of 
of three. And really, one pitch changes the series. And I know, and we'll talk about with Zach Braziller, Edwin Diaz, the pitch wasn't terrible. But it's the same old song for him. And Friday, he was fine. He allowed the base runner, and then he got out of it. But Saturday, he gives up a homer with one strike remaining. And when he started laughing, and listen, you knew the laugh that he had. It was like, really? I do that pitch? And he's still going to hit it out? It was one of those laughs. But seeing him laughed, I mean, I was at a beer garden, and I wanted to take the TV in front of me and throw it when I saw him smiling. And that's how a lot of Mets fans felt, Figgy. And listen, when you, when you are that bad last season and it carries over, the leash has got to be short on him. And that's why you have Dellen Batanza and these other guys. But that was frustrating. But then to cap it off, you, you think, all right, it's one game. You know, I was bothered by it. But to follow it by a 14-1 shellacking and the Sunday scaries coming back to hit the Mets again in 2020 is really what made that loss hurt even worse. And I know it's only three games into the season, but that was an embarrassment on a national stage on Sunday night on ESPN. Yeah, definitely not the way you wanted to start out the season. And again, the one pitch on a two-strike count, three-two count, he strikes out Ozuna or gets him to make an out, no matter how he gets him. And and you're looking at the Mets have uh, won two out of three from the Braves at home, and it's a ton of positivity. Even if you got shellac the next day it's like eh, okay we're still you know two and one you're one and two now it's not panic city time yet i think you're looking at you know some things that have kind of shown that we've known for quite some time about the pitching depth and you know they're without three of those middle relievers that are much more competent than the oswalds and the seawalds of the world so that's always a, a concern uh porcello uh, you hope that this isn't the best he's going to pitch and i don't imagine it will be he's pitched pretty well up until the this point uh even in, throughout the uh spring and summer camp 2.0 but th- there was a, a couple of key things where you're thinking about what can the Mets do as far as the bullpen as far as uh mixing guys in and out even the lineup I mean they scored one run but they left how many runners did they leave in scoring position I mean they left a ton of guys on base all game long couldn't capitalize and I think the Braves even had like 15 or 16 runners left on base even though they scored 14 so that's just a scary sight for one game and that's the game though you got to go and crumble up the paper and throw it out and say okay this isn't us at all so I would take that one and one uh, of the first two games where they were competitive and it was it was a good thing to see DeGrom you know 99 100 right out the shoot nasty slider his normal self and of course not getting any run support um, and Cespedes steps up and cracks a home run. So th- there was some optimism on the weekend. I don't, I'm always a silver lining guy, right? So I'm never going to sit back and go, oh, look, you see, this is what I told you. The season's over. No, no, I think, you know, they got some key pieces that are on the shelf right now for those middle relief guys. And then, of course, you know, those middle relief guys lead to somebody like a Lugo possibly being that fifth starter, where I have a lot more confidence in Seth Lugo being the fifth starter than any other guy that they could put out there right now. If that's not the answer, then maybe we have to see some somebody like David Peterson uh, get his crack at it because I think he's also someone that I'm excited to see take them out. Uh, The Mets are still considering David Peterson to start Tuesday night's game, especially with Oswald now gone. God, he was terrible. The guy has given up 18 homers in 20 games appeared in the big leagues. It's almost hard to be that bad. So he is gone. Erasmo Ramirez is an option. A bullpen game is an option, which could include a guy like Ramirez or Lugo. So a lot of things can change. We'll know more soon. And this is also on the COVID front, the first Mets road trip. It's only two games in Boston, but they will go to Atlanta over the weekend where it was reported that the Marlins, they were infected there. So now you have to have that in the back of your head as hopefully the Mets will be okay, you know, going from Boston back to New York to play Boston again, and then going down to Atlanta over the weekend 
I know you're carrying extra masks and san- hand sanitizers, but, you know, a player in the back of your mind, and if you were playing right now, you're thinking, God, the Marlins had a third of their team. Like, what did they do? Did they go out for beers? Like, how the hell did that happen? Yeah, no, it, it, that's the, the thing that I said from the beginning. There's going to be one player that doesn't adhere to protocols. There's going to be one player that kind of does his own thing or, you know, thinks that he's not doing anything wrong. And we don't know enough about this overall to speculate and to say what's the right thing, the wrong thing to do. I think we're talking about, yes, washing hands and wearing masks and social distancing. And when it comes to playing baseball, you got to consider everything else. And you signed up for the season and you're playing this season. That means uh, extracurricular activities are at a a huge minimum and uh, your focus is on, you know, staying as safe as you can, not just for yourself, but for your teammates and for your family. So don't pull a Lou Williams and get chicken wings at the strip club, baseball players. I mean, the bubble is looking genius right now for the NBA and and NHL here coming up with these hub cities. NHL, remember, their playoffs start this weekend. So they are in Edmonton and Toronto. MLS, they did tons of tests, and now they've had they had zero players test positive. So I mean, the bubble is looking like pure genius. Um, But yeah, chicken wings at a strip. I'd also don't recommend chicken wings at Hooters. I've been to Hooters once, and I think I got food poisoning. And obviously, people go to Hooters for some of the views as well, um, beyond just the food. But yeah, just be careful where you're getting your wings and where you're going after hours. One thing that was positive over the weekend, outside of what was really kind of a dreadful ESPN broadcast is Pete Alonso mic'd up is awesome. I mean, he talked mm-hmm. about uh, Thunder Thighs. He said it about a big Pearl Jam fan. He said chocolate milk and squats. That's the secret. I would love <laughs> Pete Alonso just from the way they talk to the content of what he says for him to be mic'd up all season. Outside of that, I mean, those ESPN games truly make you uh, miss Gary Keith and Ron and SNY, especially when I got to stare at chipper jones and john smoltz the whole game i mean what is this a braves watch party we watched with our set with seven line people friday it felt like i was watching with braves fans on espn yeah that, that's a, a little odd especially if you would think that the home team would be able to have the broadcasters so even if that would meant you know somebody like ronnie being on there or you know one of the normal met guys you think that would be the way that the home team would be able to host it a little bit better but you know they did it the braves were there and you had smoltz a hall of fame and chipper jones as well that's where you uh you kind of see what the other side is like and and what i like always is that they they are respectful of the mets and uh even though there wasn't really competition you got to remember the braves won what 14 straight divisions <laughs> it wasn't really competition with the mets and yet the mets would always find a way to get under their skin especially with chipper jones so much that he his son is named shay I, I think that shows you how much uh he respects the mets organization um he's always and john smoltz uh going to degrom the day of DeGrom, of reaching out to DeGrom and talking to him about mechanics and things of that nature. I mean, those guys don't have to do that, and yet there's still that connection. So baseball is a, is a funny game that way, but it's it's always good when those rivals meet up and you have the guys from the old school giving some insight of, of you know the days of days of yore. And I'd be perfectly fine if Mr. Met took that Chipper Jones and his little Shea kid outside and cut it up or put it on fire. <laughs> I've seen those cardboard cutouts enough for a lifetime. I mean, it was cool the first time, but I, I'm good on that front. And a nice gesture by you getting a cardboard cutout hooked up for me and my father as we have an opening day tradition every year since 03. So we were there in cardboard cutout form. So thank you for that, Figgy. And yes, my cardboard cutout Saturday was 
charging the field at Edwin Diaz when they blew that game. So, and then Sunday when Corey Oswald was giving up homers, yes, my cardboard cutout did leave early to beat traffic, get a post-game slice of Amore, and hit up the Corona Ice King. Yeah, I know. Definitely uh, wanted you to have the experience, even if it was from afar and uh, you guys were there. And I, I, like I said, I'm uh, a big fan of the relationship you have with your dad and how the Mets always opening day ties you guys together and you have that experience. So I wanted to make sure you didn't miss out. Yeah, and I know my mom was almost in tears hearing that we were there. She's like, oh, my God, you were there in some capacity. It's beautiful. So, yeah, that's uh, she loved that. But you're listening to Amazing But True, Jake Brown and Nelson Figueroa. If you missed it, make sure you catch our David Wright interview last episode. It was fantastic. We have a terrific interview with Billy Wagner, who's absolutely been robbed of the Hall of Fame, coming up in a little bit. But joining us next, making his debut, fellow historian. It is New York Post sports writer Zach Braziller. He is a fellow Astorian, and you know I love my fellow Astorians because they know that Astoria and Queens in general, Figgy, is the best borough of the five boroughs, and Astoria is the best part of the five boroughs. Figgy finally made his way to Astoria on Friday and saw the greatness that was, although Chip did run out of cookies because we were there a little late, it was still glorious. He did have a nice piece of cake. It is Zach Braziller from the New York Post. You can follow him on Twitter at NY Post underscore Brazil with an L-E at the end. Zach is also a Hofstra alum, so Hofstra and Astoria. Um, Zach, welcome for the first time to Amazing But True. We're hoping for baseball. Um, The Yankees Monday night will not get it against the Phillies, but it does seem like there will be a season for now. There's just, as we're just following along as everything comes out, uh, the regular Monday's owner's call happened. They said there was no talk of canceling the season just yet. So season's happening. We'll see what happens with the Marlins and these tests coming up with the Phillies. But are you concerned? Do you think this season makes it through the whole way? Or do you think in a week or two, it might come to an end? I think they're going to clearly give it another shot. I, I don't, you know, I do think if this was like the Yankees or the Dodgers or like a big team, maybe there would be more talk of possibly canceling. But, you know, for now, they're going to still try. I mean, look, there's so much money involved. They just started. They put a lot into this. But I do think... You know, this happens to another team, or we see this once or twice more. I definitely could see them, you know, just 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 ending it. One pitch seemed to change everything for the Mets in this first series with Edwin Diaz. What do you think so far with what we've seen from the Mets? The Braves look like a dead team for basically the first two games, and then two one strike away from losing the series, home run, and and then you know they hit the ball all over the place. I mean, we all knew going into the year that pitching depth was going to be an issue for the Mets, especially the starting rotation. I'm not going to overreact on one start from Porcello. The guy is a pro. I know he didn't have a great year last year. His, he was all over the place yesterday. I'm not willing to say he's a, he's going to be a bust. Or he's not going to pitch well. I was surprised that they went with him for game three over Waka. Waka, to me, I I was at a lot of their workouts. Waka looked really good. He had one simulated game where no one on the Mets was touching him. And especially when you consider who pitched yesterday, he's going to have to pitch against the Braves again to start the series on Friday. I, I was surprised they didn't go Waka. I'm interested to see how he, how he pitches tonight. Mets didn't hit a lot. They did have a lot of guys on base. It's one series. I, I don't tell you, Figgy, you know, it's... It's just how baseball goes. I mean, I wouldn't go nuts over one. I, I know it's only 60 games and, and, and it's everyone's going to go overreact over everything, but I, I really wouldn't go nuts over one series. My bigger concern is just the pitching depth because you saw, I mean, Oswald, we, we saw him last year and he wasn't very good and he clearly wasn't good yesterday, even though what he did really didn't matter. But that pitching depth is clearly a concern, no doubt. 
Yeah, and luckily Oswald is no longer there. He's going to the alternative, you know, training site or whatever they're calling it. You can't really get say get sent to the miners because there's no miners, so you just make up terminology. But uh, he's headed to Coney Island to get some Nathan's uh, socially distanced hot dogs on the boardwalk there. And Paul Seawald should follow him and go get those hot dogs because he's garbage as well. But you know, I I always say it's tradition at this every episode at this point is melatonin. Paul Seawald equals nightmares for Jake Brown. What do you do every five? days Zach since it's not going to be Oswald in Boston Tuesday do you is it a bullpen game I mean Brock is probably still a week away and so is Gazelman what's your plan for the Mets to not try and like you know throw in the towel every five days I don't see how you don't go to Peterson I I don't I know he maybe some people would have said he would have pitched in AAA this year but I I just don't see how he isn't the guy for you I I didn't get why they just didn't say he's going to be our number five guy right out of the shoot it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me look it'll help when you when you get Brock there and you get some more depth in that bullpen but to me I really don't understand why they didn't especially once they knew Stroman wasn't going to be ready. Why did they try to get Lugo ready to for that rotation? Now, look, I get it. They don't have a lot of confidence in the bullpen. You don't know where you're getting from Diaz. Familia, obviously, coming off a bad year. Other question marks. Baton says you don't know. But when you look, consider when Lugo pitches, he basically needs two days off after every time he pitches. So you're basically going to get him twice a week out of the bullpen. I don't get how that is more value than having him in the rotation. Now, you can't really do it right now because it's going to take him time to build up and get to where he's going to be able to throw 100 pitches. But to me, the mistake was not preparing for that better during the summer you know, summer training. If he's only pitching twice a week, how is that more value than him starting once every five days? Well, I think what they're thinking is the twice a week are a chance to win a ball game and keep a lead. That's where they want to use him. And he's has the flexibility of going multiple innings in any said game and then two days off, you know, multiple innings again. So he's going to be that guy that a valued innings eater. He's not just a, you know, fill-in guy as Seawald and uh, Oswald to the world that Jake says. But I do think Lugo has the stuff to be a really good starter. And it's been frustrating for me to watch and it's frustrating for him as well. Um, and he says all the right things, but you feel like you want to have a hashtag, hashtag free Lugo at this point and say, hey, let's see what this guy has, especially when you've lost, you know, Noah Syndergaard for the year. Porcello had a shaky start. We have to see what we get from Walker tonight. And then you're looking at, oh, well, somebody's got a pitch on Tuesday. He wasn't going to be able to, if he goes 50 pitches, that's almost what a, a starter's going now anyway. They're not going very deep unless your name is Kyle Hendricks and it's that simple to you to just run through a lineup uh, in your first outing. I think Lugo is, it, it, it kind of depends where you're at, right? now and early in the season they're figuring on Lugo being able to hold the lead they just got to get a lead if they're not hitting you got two guys three guys really Ramos McNeil and Alonzo all batting a what a combined 100 so that's not the norm that's not what we're going to normally see and some guys are going to be rusty at this and we knew that uh, the Braves opened up a can on the Mets yesterday and maybe that's the best thing for them because now all of a sudden you weed out those guys like the Oswalds and you maybe get a chance to see Peterson I think Peterson would be terrific to see what the kids got and, and bring him up right now and, and what's the worst that could happen he's going to go back to the to the uh, alternate site squad in Coney Island uh, I think for him it would be an opportunity to see you know that his stuff will play and they thought that when they drafted him as a first rounder so um, all the things that you're saying are, are absolutely the mentality that the Mets should have right now don't overreact 
it's not the <laughs> it's not the end of the season. It's just the beginning of the season. When does it hit Zach that you go, all right, it's Patanza's time? Is it another blown save? Is it two? I mean, it's it has to hit a point at some point where he's not the closer. That's why you brought Familia back and you got Patanza's here. I wouldn't complete, but but I don't I don't think they're just saying he's the closer. You know, I think it all depends on the game and the situation and and what's kind of you know what's 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 happening. I mean, I don't. They haven't equivocally said he's our closer, even though he got the first two opportunities. I think if there's an opportunity tonight, he'll probably get it, but he might not get it I, I think it all depends they have a lot of options back there that's the thing they have a million guys who've closed games this happens again i think he'll probably be done with save opportunities but but there are people who say all right now move him back to the fifth or sixth inning i, I don't think one outing you move a guy back and, and kind of bury him i i gotta see more from him in terms of of more blown saves because i i think he threw the bow well those first two games i thought his location for the most part was good and that was obviously such a huge issue with him last year that his location wasn't good, you know, so I, I got to see more before I'm ready to really just jump off his bandwagon. Zach, uh, before we let you go, I think the people really want to know is your your Mount Rushmore of a story of food. We need to know your top Astoria brunch slash dinner options. We know mine goes in the order of something like uh, Butcher Bar, Queen's Comfort, Sugar Freak, and Blackbirds. What's yours? I mean, you're not going to put Taverna Cyclades in there? I've only had it once me? and I didn't enjoy it too much, but I know Aww. it is the most popular Aww. spot. I haven't had it enough to really Terrible. put it in my top four. Terrible. <laughs> Bad job out of you. I mean, I would definitely have Queen's Comfort in there, but to me, Taverna Cyclades is is as good as you can get. I love that place. There's a great Italian spot near me called Ornella. It's uh, it's on 23rd Avenue that I love. I mean, you could go to basically, you could go to a million spots. You know, I mean, Astoria, there's no better place to eat than Astoria. That's I'm gonna that's gonna be my ringtone. That is that is because I say it all the time. So I needed uh, a confirmation from someone else. But people just don't people sleep on a story. They say it's far. They're like I'm like it's literally closer to the city than most of Brooklyn is. So get over yourself. It's about 20 <laughs> minutes from Midtown on the train. Well, um, here's the thing: we don't have that problem anymore. So <laughs> yeah, I know it's 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 weird times. And you know, Zach. Hopefully, we talk again this season because that would mean there's more baseball. And right now, there's no plans of canceling the season just yet. And uh, you can follow Zach on Twitter at NYPost underscore Brazil. Read his stories in the post itself or at NYPost.com. Zach, I'll see you on my rooftop in the coming days, I'm sure. (laughs) Great, man. Have a good one, guys. Let's root for baseball, all right? Joining us now is one of the best closers and relievers in the history of baseball. 16 seasons in the big leagues with the Astros, Phillies, Mets, Red Sox, Braves. You remember him on that 2006 Mets team that won the NLEs. He's got 422 career saves. He's a seven-time All-Star. He's six on the all-time saves list. He's an NL Rolaids Relief Man Award winner. He was part of a combined no-hitter. He has a career 2-3-1 ERA. And, get this, opposing batters have a 1-8. 87 career average against him the lowest in mlb history with at least 800 innings pitch it is former mets closer and one of the best to do it billy wagner joining amazing but true billy if that wasn't a grand enough intro for you then i'll just retire now and drop the mic well i, I didn't know how to even reply to that i was like wow well, that that guy's really good and then i was like oh hey, wait a minute because <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you very much. On your career, also a couple of accolades I didn't even mention. God, there's so many as I read up, is that you had the highest K per nine innings at 11.9 Ks per nine inning and 33.2% strikeout rate, uh, both highest in Major League history. And hits per nine inning ratio at 5.99 hits per nine innings was the highest in Major League history, which leads me to ask, Billy, why the hell are you not in the Hall of Fame? 
you know, one of those things. I, you know, I moved up in in, in the, uh, the voting, so I, I really can't complain too much. I still don't see myself being voted in. I believe a uh, hundred innings is just causing people to really doubt how good I I was. So the the other nine hundred innings was a fluke, but the the really game changer would have been the hundred innings in which if I'd have had you know just mediocre numbers, I'd have still been all right. I you know I don't understand. I don't I, I know that it's not numbers. I I understand that. I, I know that it's also a you know I wasn't probably I was a very good quote. I was a very good story because I I I, I always was there for the media. So I don't think uh, I believe I truly believe it's one of those things where the media has they are biased on certain situations and they have the, they have their favors. I, I just don't think that it's numbers. I don't think you can put my numbers you can put numbers against anybody that's ever closed and and they're comparable. I, I can't go out and get 600 saves if I only have 500 opportunities. I, there's certain things you can't do if I'd have stayed another two years and and whatnot and done all these things. It doesn't really. I mean, it, it's not going to qualify me any more or any less I think I mean Trevor went out and had 601 save or whatever and he you know his last year you know the last year or so he struggled and and it wasn't fun it wasn't you know and I was able to go out on my own terms and and enjoy and and do what I wanted to do and still be very successful after coming through Tommy John and being 39 and pitching in playoff uh, situations so I I just you know I believe that from my standpoint where it's you know because of course, I've done plenty of podcasts and interviews, and you know I hear the same same remarks. How are you not being taken serious? I mean, I guess it's the same way as Lee Smith. There's a, there's you got to know the right people, or you got to be really nice to the right people. What's wild is your last year, your career was your best year. You had a, a one four three ERA. You were dominant at the top of your game, ending your career. So I'm sure you've thought about, oh, what if I stayed a couple of years? But you were better than you almost ever were in your final season. You know, when I made that decision, I made the decision early in the year because I didn't want, I remember talking to Bobby Cox and, and just saying, hey, you know, I know I've got a two-year deal. And I said, but you know, I, I'm done. I'm done. After this year, I'm done. And I told him at the beginning, he goes, well, why don't you just wait till the end? I said, well, I said, a lot of things can happen between now and then. I said, if I go out and say, I'm going to, I'm not, I'll wait till the end. And then I go out there and I, I have a bad year. Everybody's going to be ready to push me out. If, if I have a good year, I'm going to make this decision now. And then it's not that I'm not going to play any harder or try to do any better. It's just I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make this decision for me and my family. So that's off the table. And I don't have to stress over what decision do I need to make or should I do this or where do I go from here? It's just, hey, done. This is what I'm going to do. And I mean, lucky, lucky enough, I, I had a, a really solid year my last year. I mean, it, it, it's always good to hear somebody go, well, you were dominant. You were doing this and that and the other. Yeah, but I was taping ankles and groins and massages and chiropractors and I mean, the Japanese needle thing where they sit there in acupuncture and, you know, you just don't realize how, how much it was to go out there and do that. And I mean, as easy as it looks like when you're watching guys on TV and thinking knows from truly, all of a sudden you're going, oh, man, how am I going to do this tomorrow? And so, you know, and, I, and my kids were at a point where it just was right timing to say, hey, I need to be with them. I need to. I need to be there for their guidance and and be a dad. And so, and it just kind of the timing was perfect. Yeah, we had David Wright on last week, and he spoke at great lengths about the injury and coming back and the rehab process and how difficult it was. See, I was amazed because when you had your surgery it was 2008, and you came back in less than a year from Tommy John, and you didn't just come back, 
because I had surgery in 2004. And when I came back, I remember my first game coming back, I'm down in the Mexican league trying out my new arm and I topped out at 83. And I'm like, oh my God, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to get it done. You were back to almost normal. I'm talking 95, 96 miles an hour and struck out. What was it? You had two innings pitch, four strikeouts with the Mets, and then you were put on waivers and went over to Boston. How did you come back so quickly from Tommy John? Honestly, I think it's just one of those things where I'm not supposed to be left-handed anyway. And so, uh, you know, I've had injuries before. I think being able to deal with injuries, I played played football, broke my arms, broke my collarbones. Uh, so going through injuries, understanding that it's part of it helped me to endure it. But it also, you know, I always put myself up there as an underdog. You know, everybody saw height. They saw uh, too little to, to, to do anything successful. And so, you know, I always had that chip on my shoulder. And so I remember uh, Jerry Manuel, after I blew out in a simulated game, and I finally blew out, you know, comes up to me, pats me on the back and says, you know, hey, you've had a great career. I'll never forget him patting me on the back saying, you've had a good career. And I remember looking up, going, no, 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 no. You, you don't get to tell me when my career's over. I remember that kind of spurring me and I could have quit. I could have said, oh, you know, I've had a good career. I'm done, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, no, you know what? That's not going to define me. And I remember, you know, my faith was, uh, I felt like God had put put me in this situation for a bigger role to be a bigger light and a bigger beacon to talk to, to young younger uh kids and and people about overcoming obstacles and so to me it was just one more uh, obstacle i just had to overcome but it's one of those things that you know you have those certain situations in your life where somebody says you're not you, know, you can't or they they say you know that pat on the back when you're you're not done but it was just one of those things that just kind of said no hey i'm, I'm not done yet and so I was, that spurred me on. I remember, uh, you know, going through rehab and, uh, it was going really well. And, uh, I'm, I'm throwing, I'm down in, uh, Port St. Lucie and I'm throwing well, not having any side effects, nothing going on, you know. And they kept kind of holding their breath. Nah, I don't know if we want to do this. I don't know if we want to bring you up. Da, 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 da. You know, and, you know, I just kept pushing the, uh, the button. You know, I kept saying, Hey, don't, don't be, don't cheat me. And so, you know, they just, they, they, They'd signed a uh, they'd signed a closer and he was doing well and I'm not the type of guy to come in and I'm not going to stir up I'm not going to go up there and tell him I should be closing or anything like that I was never that type of player but I was the type of player you were you were, I, I wasn't going to beat myself I was going to go out there and give 100 percent whether I was setup man or closer or, or water boy or whatever and so uh, I made it difficult I remember not knowing when I was about to be put on waivers and. Francona and Theo and those guys were asking about coming to Boston. And, you know, really, I, I just kind of got back to big league playing two innings, you know, been successful. But, you know, you're playing in a situation that was completely different than going and being really relied on in a, on a Boston team that, you know, you couldn't be okay. You had to be good. They, they expected World Series. And so I was apprehensive about that. But, I mean, after coming through everything I went through, you know, talking to my family and knowing that, you know what, this must be a path that God wanted me to take, that was making that jump made it, it was easy and they were great over in Boston too so I mean um, but you know those were some unique times going through that those obstacles one of the other things of course is watching you and being that that key to those 
back end of the games, the finishing it off, the closing it off with somebody, you said it, of your your size and you're always having to prove yourself. Do you think that helped you in that mindset of a closer's mindset to continually? And I mean, we're talking about 422 saves. That, that That's not like, oh, look, I had a good season for 15 years and a 2.31 ERA. That says everything there. That's almost mic drop status. For me, I've watched what you were able to do and it was like, okay, game's over. It's Billy Wagner coming into the game. There's very few closers in the history of the game. And also you look at now, closers are getting all this money and they aren't as consistent and as successful as you were. What do you contribute to that level of success and that level of consistency? Well, I was a huge fear of failure guy. I, I totally felt like every game was game seven of the World Series. I, there was just a lot that I felt anxiety-wise going out there. And so every game meant something to me. We're playing Pittsburgh in April. It's cold. It's a four-to-one ball game. There's nobody in Pittsburgh. All of a sudden, that game meant something to me. You know, how people viewed me, how people – how my numbers stacked up was how people viewed me. And so I felt like there was always somebody looking to find that crack in the armor, that something. And so uh, those games meant to me. And so those are the games that I, I wanted to be even better at because I, you'd, you'd always hear the, the announcer saying, ah, you know, it's a 4-1 ball game or it's a four-run ball game or this. They're usually not as good. They're, you know, I, that just <clears throat> would irritate me. And so I didn't want little cracks in the armor. And so every moment I got the pitch, I wanted to be dominant because when the game really did count and it really did mean something in the books or whatever, and I walked out of that bullpen and the other team looked up and went, oh, he's having a good year. All right, you know, it's a below two or it's a low two with a lot of strikeouts, low walks. They're going, whew, hey, that, their confidence is down. But if I'm, if you roll out there and you go, oh, that guy's got a four, he's got this, he's got that, they're, they're like, oh, we can get to this guy. There's confidence. And I just, you know, I had enough, I, had, I felt like I had enough going against me that I didn't want to allow any cranks that I could control. And so that's what I, I really just stayed in with that mindset that even in my 16th year, I'm, I'm out there and doing stuff, it was still, with the mindset that somebody's looking over. And that might be because of, and Piggy, I know as, as, for you, there was always somebody looking to knock you down. You've been there and experienced somebody saying, hey, you know what, you're not this, you're not that. And But I mean, when I was in AAA, I was a starter and I was, my numbers were good enough to say I could start, but I could have never started in the big leagues. I, I didn't have enough pitches. I just wasn't good enough to do that. But I remember a guy and God rest his soul, I uh, was a scout and a, and a major league scout, Paul Weaver, sitting behind me at Salt Lake City before I pitched and told me that he, had, he, you know, little things like, hey, I, I told the Astros, we shouldn't draft you. You're too little. You'll break down. You you never live up to it. You know? So those little things like that, those are the little small blessings God gives you to, to help you get through these little things. And, you know, for me, when things – when if I ever felt like I was really rolling, I would always think of those guys. Or if I was really struggling, I would think of those guys because I didn't want those guys to win that battle. And so, you know, there was always that chip on your shoulder. And that's, that's you know, going out there and, and pitching in your whatever game, and that, that helped you. I, I mean, we played with a bunch of guys that handle situations completely different. I remember Craig Kimball, Dwyer San- Sanchez, guys like that. They, I go, man, I'm a wreck. I'm puking before every game. 
they're like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just baseball. I never understood the, man, this means something. This is important. This is a, a big thing for me. And so, you know, some guys just handled it different. But my, the way I handled it was this is everything I've ever in my life worked for. And I'm not letting anyone take what little time I get to do this away from me. What was funny for me was that you helped me and you may not ever remember it. When I first got back with the Mets, I had been, I had my surgery in 2004. I traveled the world trying to make a comeback. I went in a caravan, rented a caravan, went from uh, camp to camp in Florida, trying out for teams. And in Arizona, I had three tryout camps in one week and didn't get a sniff, no calls, nothing. And then finally, I pitched 285 innings in 2007, win a championship in Taiwan, win a championship in Dominican Republic, and I get a chance to come to the Mets. Remember, I got drafted by the Mets in 95. I got to play catch one day with you. And I remember we were on the backfield on field two in the turf field and we're playing catch. And you said to me, you're nasty, bro. And I go, all right, stop messing with me. This is Billy Wagner. You know, <laughs> you want to talk about nasty. This guy's throwing a, a hundo with a nasty hook. And you're like, you're nasty. Everything you throw moves and it does this and it does that. And then Pedro came up to me like two days later and he's like, how do you hold your curveball? Can you show me how you hold your curveball? And I'm sitting there, my mind's being blown. I'm like, Billy Wagner just called me nasty. And Pedro just asked me how I throw my curveball. I'm like thinking I'm on an episode of Punked. I'm like, there's no way this is actually happening. But it gave me so much more confidence because I'm like, I don't care what the scouts say. These guys who tow the rubber like I do are giving me compliments. So that means that my game is on a level that I don't need to think, am I worthy of being here? Can I hang? Can I do this? It was for me about getting the opportunity and having that chip on my shoulder. Because for me, every game that I pitched, if we lost that game, I was the guy that lost that game because I gave up the runs early on in the game and the team couldn't come back. I was the expendable guy. So I always had that chip on my shoulder. And I always thought of that time when we played catch and, and it helped me be like, you know what? I know I got good stuff. I can challenge anybody. And I never feared a major league hitter after that moment. I, I, and, I, and I never got a chance to thank you for that. The second thing was speaking of anxiety, Diaz, the closer in New York, how difficult is it closing in New York compared to anywhere else? Unlike any other place you'll play. The one thing that he's got going for him is that the closer in New York is not Mariano Rivera. For all the Chapman who's stupid, good, but it's not Mariano. You have a chance to set your, your tone at in New York. I mean, it didn't matter what you did in New York. It, that was most counted, and, and the reporters would, let, would not let you forget it. Being in New York, good games aren't weren't good enough. I mean, punch out three on nine pitches. Ah, eh, Mariano punched out three and eight. Oh, what? You know, it was just that type where when, you know, for Diaz, you know, he has the ability, and it's not easier. It's not easier in the games and the games, but he, I mean, his stuff's electric. And, you know, he has a chance to, to, to create his own stigma and, and stuff. But it, it's no cup of coffee. And I mean, it, it, reading newspaper articles when he's had good games and bad games. I mean, good games, you get, you know, you get the old uh, Andyus gets the safe. Where when you blow the safe, oh my God, you know, he needs to be released. And back yeah, down. the worst pitcher ever. Though, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, you really got to figure out how to be self-confident and be more self-confident because it is a very difficult stage and they like portraying that i mean philadelphia boston they all like that to portray have that little niche to where they they try to humble you and stuff like that but you know the, the reason i came to new york was because of i think chipper jones said it last night if you can win in new york you can win anywhere and, and if you can get through it you, you know you can get through anything and that's honest when i made the decision to come to new york i knew what i was up against I mean, I've been there, 
played it long enough. I played in Philadelphia. I knew what was going to, what was around it, but I also knew that I knew I was good enough to do it. I just, I, you know, it was just understanding how to stay in my lane and, and, and not fall for the little bits that the media would throw at you. So, you know, that was the, that was the difficult part, but, uh, it, it didn't, it certainly didn't help that, you know, the greatest closer ever was across town. And no matter what you did or how good your season was, it didn't matter. The Yankers probably going to win the World Series. You weren't. Yeah. And, and Diaz, the problem with him is you never really had long stretches where you struggled. You'd have a blown save here and there. Diaz was brutal last year. And to start this year after closing out the first game uh, to give up that game-tying homer, his leash is going to be short. The cardboard cutout fans are going to be fake yelling. Um, and uh, the, the leash could be short and Batances could be in there as, you know, hoping that this whole season does happen. So we completely understand where you're coming from. I want to look back before we let you go to game seven of the 2006 NLCS. You know, it, it haunts me as a Mets fan. Aaron Holloman comes in for the second inning uh, and he gives up the homer to Yachty Molina. Did you want to be in that ninth inning? I know it was a uh, it was a tie game, so it wasn't a save situation. You had given up a couple runs uh, the night before. You didn't have the best playoff run that year, but did you want to be in there? Were you frustrated with Willie at all that you were not in that game? Well, yeah, I think in that situation... I- I needed to be in that game. I mean, not that Aaron couldn't get it done. And unfortunately, I could have went in there and done the same thing. But in that situation, I believe your best player in your bullpen is the guy that you win and lose it with. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I was warming up, you know, ready to do whatever. That is, a that, I think, giving up the runs. I get, in game two, I gave up the solo home run to Taguchi, I think, or two runs, I can't remember. And then I came in and gave up a run. We won four to one or four to two or something like that. It was a four-run lead or something like that. And, and you know, it's it still, it, you know, I, I think, I personally think Willie was like, holy shit, what am I going to do? I don't have Mariano Rivera. What am I going to do? You know, I, I don't think he had very much faith. In, in me at that point. That's going to be frustrating uh, for you, right? As a guy who's, you know, a potential Hall of Famer, amazing stats. Yeah, you had a couple of bad games, but, I mean, if I'm you, I'm a little triggered that, you know, Aaron Hallman gets Game 7 over me just because I had a couple of bad outings. It was, but you know what? I'm not going to be selfish enough to sit there and say something that's arrogant. The manager is the manager. I I, I felt that way. Felt like I should have been there. I mean, of course, I get every question in the world. Were you not ready? Are you sore? Are you hurt? Are you this? You you know, you get all those weird questions, but it, it comes down to, you know, really didn't have confidence in me to to go out there in that game nine after having a uh, not so good game six. But uh, you know that's but that's part of the game. And you 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 know, I'd love to have been in that game. I mean, who knows? Those are the games that you come in. And I mean, I think when people look back during that 06 season, my first season, I think uh, about the 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 Mets series where I came out and. The first night I went and one, two, three, we ended up winning. I ended up getting the win. Game game two is a day game on Fox. Uh, we're up by five or four or six runs, something like that. And I'm, I'm sitting in the bullpen not even thinking about pitching. All of a sudden, I get a phone call. Get up. I am, I'm a million miles away. I'm not even expecting. I go out there and I just poo the bed. I was terrible. Media, you know how the New York media, they wore me out. Really wore me out in there. He was just like, oh, you know. And then, I mean, I remember Tim McCarver dropping the, Oh my God, most closers will never get back from this. You know, that's awful, blah, blah, blah. And then very next night, it's a 3 2 ball game. I come in. First guy I face is Bernie Williams. It's a, uh, a little blooper, uh, face it. And then I end up getting, punching two guys out and getting a pop up or a ground bar or something like that. And I get out. You know, those are the things that as a closer, those are, that's your life. You, you know how to bounce back from bad games and you know how to pitch in 
some big games and stuff like that. And that's all we've done for 162 games is pitching big games. And so not getting that call, you always feel have that self-doubt going, well, wow, am I okay? And so, you know, and not that you want to put down Aaron Heilman or – because they are. They're very good. They're very good. But when your closer's not getting in there, you just open the door to so many questions. And you know what? I, you know, and I'm sure Willie be the first to admit that he's told me face-to-face many times that I'm not Mariano Rivera. But I'm 100% sure that he would be willing to sit there and go, and I wasn't his favorite guy. And and I wasn't his favorite guy because of game six. And, I, and I mean, we won that game, you know. And so game seven, you know, he was very apprehensive. Yeah, I remember being there. Game, game six, Figgy, was unbelievable, Billy. I mean, that Jose Reyes leadoff homer, Shea's rocking. I mean, you're up 4 nothing, so you give up two runs and you still win the game. So I didn't think it was a big deal. But I'll always remember that night and just the place rocking. And it, it just frustrates to me this the day that he kept Tallman in that game. And part of that probably factors in. Righties were coming up. You know, maybe he was in love with the righty-righty matchup against Roland and then Molina. That'll that'll still bug me, Billy. Well, it's, you know, it's still, it's still a weird. That whole series was weird. I mean, it was a who's, who, who's hot series. I mean, the Cardinals barely getting in the playoffs. I mean, they're limping. I mean, all of a sudden, you've got Coupon just pitching like he's the greatest pitcher in the world. And, I mean, it's a guy who was struggling to get out. So, now, all of a sudden, you, you, you know, he's hot. You've got Roland being Roland. You know, it, it, it's just the Cardinals. I've played against them coming up through the central division and all this. And they, when they're when they're in that situation, they look like they limp in. All of a sudden, they're barely being doing I mean, they went on to win the World Series. I mean, you got Wainwright going out there, you know, a guy who's not experienced, and he's out there just—he looks like a whole different guy. You know, you know, those were those moments that you couldn't predict. I mean, we wanted to play the Cardinals. I mean, that was oh yeah, they they come through the wild card, boom, hey, we we got you. Here we go. You know, we knew we'd have to play, and and they're tough. But I mean, it wasn't you know. I mean, I know Albert was you know Albert didn't have a very good series that that I don't believe the guys that were like really crazy was uh was like their first baseman and he just came from anaheim scott spezio uh, scott spezio, spezio. That, yeah that freaking spezio. soul patch on his chin i want to rip it <laughs> off his face <laughs> but i mean he has moda is throwing some nasty stuff and all of a sudden he that guy's like i mean you can't get him out soda gucci i faced soda gucci i don't know four or five times and i don't think he's done anything it's a solo home run i mean those things i mean you just can't put those things together you know sometimes but you know not being in that game seven is always a difficult situation knowing that what if you can always play that what if card now and unfortunately it, w- it was a tough one i tell everybody uh, the beauty of baseball is that team that gets hot entering the playoffs it's not necessarily the team that won the most games because they can kind of tread water as they go into the playoffs they know they're going to be in there it's the team that gets hot at the right time and then carries through look at the nationals last year they were dead in the water after 50 games, and then all of a sudden they just catch fire, and then they have they have the baby shark thing going, their little chants and everything, and all of a sudden it just is infectious. And guys, the little guys, it wasn't even the big guys that were carrying them. It was the little guys and the unknown guys like a Soto. So that's what I love about baseball, that you can't ever count out a team, especially you get to the playoffs. That's why you say get your foot in the door and let's see what happens at that moment. For me, Billy, I want to thank you for uh, speaking of the views from Shea. My first start as a New York Met and I have my family and uh, of course anyone who knows Puerto Rican families the extended Puerto Rican family is in in the house and Billy Wagner comes up to me and says hey listen if you need my suite it's all yours so a suite I think normally holds about 
25, 30 people max, maybe Billy. I think we got about 50 Figueroa's in there at least. And <laughs> they were hanging out from the window and they got to see me pitch and, and you shut the door for the game and we win against the Brewers. And that was one of the most magical moments of my career. Um, something I dreamed of as a kid, you know, growing up as a Met fan that I get a chance to pitch at Chase Stadium. And, you know, you were so gracious to allow us to do that. Of course, we couldn't do that in these days with Corona, uh, but I, I always wanted to thank you and, and, and say how much that meant to me and my family. And, and they talk about it all the time whenever we uh, reminisce about those days. So I wanted to thank you and thank you for, for coming on the show with us and, and being yourself and always being accountable in front of the media. Well, Figgy, you were always one of my favorite people. You've always been hardworking. And, you know, I was very blessed and had the opportunity. And, you know, what that's what good, that's what teammates do. And so, uh, you know, I enjoyed your company and enjoyed listening to uh, the way you handled your business. So, you know, it was just, uh, it was good just to be around your family. Thank you. Yeah, and, and Billy, we really appreciate the time. And you can follow Billy, I mean, we might have to change your Twitter because your name is just too damn long, bro. It's at WAXK13WJS underscore E on Twitter. And uh, <laughs> Billy, one day, we, we're, we're going to find a way to get you in the Hall of Fame because you deserve it. Your numbers are just stupid good. Uh, and thanks for the time, and your family stay safe, and hopefully we'll talk to you later in the season. Absolutely. Hey, good luck to you guys. Hope to talk to you soon. And that's a wrap for Episode 13 of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake for producing the show again. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple, please rate us five stars and write a nice review. For Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. We will be back Thursday, recapping the first three games between the Mets and the Red Sox and looking ahead to their series against the Braves. We'll talk to you then. Stay safe, folks.